Well, it feels summery. Um, from the welcome screen of oceans and stuff where we all wish we were to palm trees and summer hangouts, like this is, uh, this is good. Um, we are glad you're here with us this morning. We are starting a brand new series, so it's a good time to be jumping in with us this morning. Um, and this whole series is going to be called God Is, and we're going to be talking about these things of the attributes of, of God. And um, just as kind of a way to kind of link this, uh, I had a, um, they're not here today. Okay. So uh, my uh, assistant coach and I, um, Brian Marthy, uh, we were midway through our soccer season with the U13 girls we're coaching right now in the rec, in the Gossa League. And um, we had this kind of epiphany that we're like, maybe our problem isn't so much of like how bad we are. Maybe the issue is like we haven't done enough good, a good enough job like in our coaching. We haven't really told them the right things. So Brian's like, well, what if we actually just go through all of the positions, right? Like we've, we've, we talked about a 4-4-2 and what that is in soccer. And for those who aren't in soccer, bear with me. Um, this is really interesting to me, but probably not for you if you're not into soccer. But anyway, there's, there's multiple ways you could set your field up. So anyway, we're talking about a 4-4-2 and we're like, I, I don't know if they really understand it. So we had one practice where we sat them all down together. We made the mistake of bringing markers and uh, we handed them all a marker and we, hand, we had this huge layout of the field and we said, okay, so mark where you're supposed to be on the field. Well, after about three minutes of drawing tattoos on their body, um, we realized the markers were a terrible idea. But secondly, we realized as they were drawing the positions onto this big chart, they had no idea what we were talking about. I mean, we said, okay, go find the attacking mid position. They're like, oh, what, what? And then we said, okay, we got center backs. Center backs are in the very, very front, we are in the very back, they're, they're the last line of defense where are you? And they're all like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And so within five minutes, we were like, this is going absolutely horrible. And they've just gotten so much better over the last couple weeks and just been fun to watch them be like, oh, this is soccer. Okay. So uh, it was just an amazing, amazing thing. But it, it clicked in my head of, it's that thing of we're, we're telling them one thing to go do something on the field, but they have no idea what that is, unless we actually sat them down and explained exactly what we're talking about and, and had definitions for each of the pieces there. My fear is in Christianity today and even in the church world is, is we, we've told everybody to go and, and tell people about God, but we've never really maybe sat down and fully explained who God is. And so you can get a bunch of different definitions about who God is and what God's about. And, and, and there's a ton of different things you can see online as well as in your, in your spheres of influence with the friends or family that they all have a version of God. So a great question to start this morning off is this question as we think through this series, and it's going to be a question we're going to ask every single week, and that is this, is what do you mean when you say God? <laughs> uh, because I think so many people will give you so many different answers to that. And so over the next six Sundays, we're going to be talking about some major attributes of God so that you will leave after this series, hopefully, and you will have a good understanding of some attributes or who this is, this God that we talk about, is not just this ethereal man upstairs. This, it's not this proverbial, he's in everything, you know, transcendental kind of weird kind of, he's in the trees, he's all the kinds. This is, this is going to be hopefully some grounding for us uh, for, for as we move forward. So here's a couple things we're going to be talking about over the next couple Sundays, just to kind of give you a heads up. And there's some booklets in the back that you can grab to keep notes on and, and things like that. So the first one is incomprehensible. We're going to talk about that today. <laughs> you're like, okay, we're going to talk about God is. Today we're going to talk about you can't really know him. <laughs> so you're welcome. So I'll, I'll explain that in just a second why we started there. Uh, and then we're going to talk about transcendence and, and holiness and, and this idea of 
of being set apart from us in week two. Week three, we're going to talk about Trinity. I know a lot of you guys still are really confused about that. I will not really help you 100% too much, but I will do my best to explain this whole, whole idea of how do we have a triune God who is still one. And then we're going to talk about uh, it on June 6th when everybody's on vacation, we're going to be talking about God's wrath and his jealousy. So you're welcome for that. So check in online. That's going to be a small service. Um, and then on June 13th, we're going to be talking about his immutability and the fact that he does not change. And then the last one we're going to talk about is God's sovereignty that he is, we've mentioned this before, but he is all-powerful, all-knowing and completely free. And I think that last one of his sovereignty may really uh, cause some questions, but we'll, we'll talk through that as we walk through. So again, why, why this series? Why now? Let me give you a couple reasons why, and, and this is kind of hopefully going to explain this morning's topic a little better. And, and again, we're, we're going to kind of just be glance, like kind of just over the surface today. Uh, we're going to get more in detail as we move through it, but this is just setting up the series. But I thought this was important again because we all worship something. No matter who we are, we worship something. Something has our affection, something has our devotion, something has that thing that we will drop everything for. And, and a lot of times that's our family, a lot of times maybe that's our job or our boss or, or somebody who's significant to us in a relationship. But here's the reality, we all worship something. It's just a reality check of figuring out what it is that we worship. And so as we say we worship God, I want us to make sure we're worshiping the right God. That's kind of the big reason for this series. The second reason is this. God and his identity are slipping, and I maybe have already been hijacked, and not by the world. So I think in church world, you've, you've you kind of heard, well, God's being hijacked. He's, he's not really who he says he is, and it's the world's fault. Here's the interesting thing today, is God's identity is actually being hijacked within the church as well. Um, there's a lot of big movement right now that is, is talking about this idea of God is in and through all things and we just need to be part of this one kind of transcendental unity that brings us all together so that we can serve whatever this God is out there. He doesn't care how we define him. He doesn't care what we think about him. As long as we have good moral behavior and go towards him in some direction, he'll make up all the gaps and, and we could just worship this big ethereal God. And we don't have time to get into all of that, but the reality is that is slowly but surely slipping into um, our lives and slipping into our children's lives, and it's something that we need to understand of who God says he is. Number three is this. I think the, one of the biggest reasons and one of the best reasons for this series is you can't truly love who you don't truly know. Okay? Let me just put that again. You can't truly love who you don't truly know. You can, you can say you love them, you can, you can give surface words to it, but unless you truly know someone, then you truly love them. When you go through the hard times with your wife or with your, your spouse or your best friend or your kids, that's when you truly get to love and know them. When, it, when it's just kind of surfacy and you haven't really been tested a whole lot, um, we have a lot of young couples that um, when they first get married and things like that, everything's really, really good. And, and, and then after a while, a couple of years go by and they're kind of like, I didn't know I was living with so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so says, I wasn't sure I was living with so-and-so. And, and the whole thing goes back and forth. And the beautiful part is it's not an issue or problem. It's more of a celebration of like, wow, holy cow, you're getting to know each other even better. And I believe that our Christianity, we talk about Christ and knowing God, you can't truly love who you don't truly know. I love this out of um, the Westminster Catechism. This is old, old, old language, but it says this. And this is, I think, a, a beautiful thing to, to remember for us through the series. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
So if you want Christianity, if you want to know kind of where we're going and what our big purposes here in this world, one of those is our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Here's what I think we often read this as. Our goal is, is to glorify God and obey him forever, right? Yes, but here's the reality. Obedience is so much better when you enjoy who it is that you're obeying. And I think for us, we got to be able to learn how to enjoy who this is. And you don't get to enjoy who God is if you don't know who God is. Marriages, friendships, other relationships may struggle with the same issue of how do I enjoy who I don't know? But here's the question. Here, here's, here's what I want to kind of give us some hope in. What if, what if this could be true of us? What if we could say our main goal is to glorify God and enjoy him forever? What if that trans then goes into all of our relationships as well? What if truly our main goal and objective is to know him and enjoy him forever? What if by doing so, all of your other relationships go in the same direction? That's my hope. That's my prayer of this, these next couple of six weeks is, is you would know God and enjoy him more thoroughly than you ever have before. That's a big claim. That's a big ask. I get it. Um, but in reality, it, it is, is a possibility. So we all worship something. God's identity is slipping. We, we can't truly love who we don't love. And here's the last part. I love, I think this is very important too. Evangelism and hangouts this summer. I, I think there's, there's no better opportunity than now to start talking about who God is and his attributes because you hopefully, as you go into these hangouts, are going to be talking with friends and neighbors who, who may have Christ in their life or who may not. And, and you may have opportunities along the way that somebody may ask you along the way, hey, where do you go to church or what do you do? And then it can start a discussion about who God is, and you can have answers to who God is. Not this kind of like, yeah, I think I know God, or we talk about God on Sundays, but a truly good, robust definition of this is who the God I serve is. This is the, the God that, that you need to serve as well. And so these hangouts are perfect timing as well for this series. And, and it was kind of this thing was I was looking at the calendar. I wanted this to be part of that series for that reason as well. So that you have opportunities to, as you have opportunities to share the gospel, you have opportunities to, to share this. Now, as I said before, it is interesting because in the, in the world itself, um, the, the gospel itself or the truths about God, um, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ Go, have gone through some cycles. And this is actually found in a book called Marks of the Messenger, which is a really, really good book if you want a book on evangelism, because it's less about technique. And he says it's more about just understanding who you are as being called by God to reach others. But anyway, he says this in this, this is interesting. He says the gospel goes through phases and it goes through generations uh, of this. And so the gospel is accepted in a generation, which is the first phase. And I think if we were to look at the United States as a whole, you could say that there's a generation where the gospel was accepted. I think probably like the 50s to 70s range, uh, from the 1950s to 1970s, there was this really broad, everybody kind of knew what God was, everybody kind of understood the gospel, uh, everybody kind of got a good feel about it. And then after that, the gospel slowly, if it's not continually defined and understood, it goes through another change, and that is the gospel is assumed in a generation. 
And I think that generation was probably the 70s to the 90s where everybody just assumed everybody knew what they meant by gospel. Everybody assumed they knew what they meant by Jesus Christ. Or if you said you went to church, everybody was like, oh, well, then you must be a Christian, right? That just was kind of the norm. You didn't have to explain it much growing up. There was all kinds of great big revivals and stuff. So this was me and youth group. And you can remember all those youth group days in the 80s and 90s where, you know, you went to these big concerts and all these big things and you rededicated your life 50 times. And, and it was the norm because everybody just accepted that that's how Christianity worked. And, and every youth pastor was just trying to get their kids to the next event and the next retreat so they could accept Jesus for the fifth time. And, and everybody was just kind of, it was just that normal kind of assumed they know what we're talking about. Well, then the gospel actually goes from accepted, assumed, to where he says the gospel then gets confused in a generation. And this is, I believe, the 1990s to the 2010s. I think we're in this weird phase where, where the gospel is becoming more and more confusing. So when you say God, there's probably 50 different definitions of what God is right now, even in the Christian church. There's a lot of different definitions of what Jesus did and what, he, what he's all about and how we should live with him um, in, this, in this generation. And he says the third and final phase of the gospel is actually the gospel is lost if we're not careful because it goes from accepted to assumed to confused to eventually people just give up because they're like, this doesn't make any sense. It's a bunch of just weird things and so I'm not going to believe it. And I believe that's kind of where we are now. We are on the verge, I believe, of the gospel being lost because it's been so confused, so misunderstood and so many different definitions that people have just kind of said, well, that's good for you. I used to believe in angels and little fairies too, but that's, that, I left that when I was in sixth grade. Now, there's got to be a stronger than ever push to know who God is. One of the questions that was asked in this book is, was really interesting. It says, could you have preached the same sermon if Christ had not died on the cross? And you think of so many pastors and so many things that I think of my own world, where I thought of so many sermons in my own life, where I think, could I have preached that same sermon if Christ didn't do what he did on the cross? Is it just about self-help? Is it just about getting the next thing? Is it truly just about these definitions we want to make up? Or is it truly about Jesus Christ and him crucified and the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord that makes anything possible? So, Big, long intro. You're kind of like, whoa, that was just the intro. I promise we're, we're not going to get real deep this morning. I just want to just lay that out. If there's any reason for this series, I believe those are the reasons why we're jumping into this God is series. So we said this morning that um, we're going to talk about God is incomprehensible. So let's just jump into that. So what does it mean that God is incomprehensible? Okay. Uh, Kurt said in, in the beginning, there's just, there's just so many things we don't know about him. And can he be fully known is the question this morning. So big question this morning, can you fully know God? Can you understand all of who he is, is the question. It's a, it's a humbling question. It's a reminder, hopefully, that he is not like us. It is the truth we must understand that all that we know about God has been mercifully revealed by God at his discretion. So in answer to that question, can you fully know God? Yes. No. You're welcome. Right? Y yes, there are things that we can absolutely fully know that have been disclosed by God that we can fully know him. But if you were to come to me and say, but can I fully know everything that he's about? I would beautifully and happily tell you, no way. 
There is no way we can get our minds around who this God is. And I want you to understand this morning, that is, gr- that is great news. That is fantastic news. And for some of you who are just like, that, that doesn't make any sense. I want to know him. I got to detail every piece of him. Just walk into some of the mystery that we will not in this world know fully how God operates or who he truly is, except by the fact of what he has mercifully revealed to us at his discretion. Again, it's not that we can't know anything about God. It simply means we cannot know all about God without his powerful disclosure. So for instance, let me just give you an example. We do not know or cannot know, and I don't know that anybody fully knows, how a God that we serve spoke and formed a complex solar system that continues to expand today just by saying the words, be. I don't know if you've ever tried that in your life. I don't know if you've even tried it with your kids. Be quiet. (laughs) They didn't instantly go mute. They didn't lose vocal cords. Their mouth didn't shut. They got worse, right? So be is a a word that comes like this spoke and this happened. Only God can say be to light and planets and solar system and stars. And as that be, no matter if you're a young earth or new earth, whatever it is, it is continually growing and expanding to the point that we cannot wrap our minds around all that is in existence in creation out of one simple thing that God said, you will exist and it exists. On molecular levels, DNA levels, I mean, it's complex. And all he had to do was say, be. And it was. We cannot fully know how his voice formed DNA that not only is unique to Adam and Eve, but also is unique to every human being on the planet. (laughs) That's insane. Do you know how many people have been on this planet and how many are going to be on this planet when we're in the ground and eating worms? Um, (laughs) Thanks, Joel. You're welcome. Um, There have been so many, and and every single one has been formed in DNA, and every single one of them is so complex. and, And we right here, right now, in this time period, are trying to prove to God that we know his DNA and how to alter DNA and how to alter chromosomes and do so in a way that we can choose to be who we want to be, how we want to be, and all we have to do is shift the science. And God is up there almost, I believe, at times laughing because of the the audacity that we have had to say, we can be God, we can create on our own the way God did. And only God can create, only Only God can form these things. How did God or what did God breathe into Adam at the very first breath? How did that work? Did he kind of, you know, cover? You got to have the full closure and suction and make sure that your lips are. How did that work? Did he just say it? We don't know. There's so many things in the Old Testament that we can get weirded out about, but instead I just look at the mystery and say, wow, I have no idea how that worked or how the rib came out and into woman, and I don't know. But man, amazing in the fact that there is a God that we serve that cannot truly be understood until he reveals it to us. We were reminded of this in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my ways. How does God know where we'll be 20 years from now? How does God know that we were, where we were 20 years back? It, he, he just knows because he is God. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. (laughs) That can be really exciting. That can be really hard to know. There are some words before they hit my lips that I thought, oh, those should not be on my lips, let alone out. And God, in his sovereignty, knows every part of it. Every word is on my tongue. Behold, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, this is so good, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We all need the humbling underneath the sovereignty and the rule of God to look at our lives and say, it is too wonderful. I can't make sense of it. There's no way my brain can wrap around who you are. God is incomprehensible. It is precisely because he is incomprehensible that he is God. Let me say that again. It is precisely because he is incomprehensible is why he is, has the title, God. For a God of the universe to be completely free, to be completely powerful, means that there's no other deity floating around out there in the cosmos that is completely free and completely powerful. Otherwise, they would have met at some point, correct? And one would have had to win over the other. God says, I have no rival. When we sing, he has no rival, just wrap your mind around that. We as human beings can rival against him. You know, it's, it's not a thing, okay? He's not, oh no, they're forming a mob against me. What was that? right? That's not a thing, right? But if there is a deity or some form of God that is out there that's a rival to him, maybe, maybe. But can we just understand the fact that God in all of his sovereignty and how large he is, even Satan, even our greatest enemy was put under the foot of Jesus. Done. Done. You go this far, no further. We're done here. We, I, need a God that big who knows and is and involved in us personally but has the power and strength to strike down our greatest enemy and say, no, it stops here. You're done. End of of conversation. And I think when we get ourselves underneath who he is, it it just reveals so much of who we are and who he is. When Genesis says we're made in his image, it doesn't mean exact image. We are not, as other religions, going to someday become these many gods floating around. God is God and will only be God. It is only him who is God. When I say God is incomprehensible, it's proven through revelation in the Bible. It's a difficult concept to understand. And I want to give you a passage we're going to look at just briefly as we finish out our time. We're not going to dive into deeply into it because there's so much that's going to be played out in this passage throughout the series. But if you have your Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 1, I'll give you a minute to get there. And a lot of you are going to have to do what I did uh, often with these kind of books where you got to go, okay, Ezekiel. Uh, table of contents, that's your best friend right now. So go there, uh, look for Ezekiel. Uh, it's one of the major prophets uh, in the Old Testament. Um, look halfway and then kind of go a third that way. Okay, so Ezekiel chapter 1, everybody on their devices is like, I don't know what your problem is. 
It's right here. I mean, come on. Ezekiel chapter 1 uh, is where we're going to be. Now, in order to understand Ezekiel chapter 1, we're, like I said, we're not going to spend a ton of time, but I, I want to kind of use this as an example. I want you to think for a second before you get into Ezekiel chapter 1, when was the last time you had a very difficult time getting somebody to understand something that you were saying? For me, this is every day. But for most, right, because I use too many words, but, but when was the last time you had a, a conversation and you really wanted them not just to know about it, you wanted them to feel it, you wanted them to be part of it, you wanted them in the seat next to you, and, and you're trying to describe this thing. And so here's maybe, and they're all like, yeah, wherever there was, that was... It's quite the journey. Um, But ultimately, we want people to be with us in those things. This is where we're going to see in Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel's going to have a vision of God, and he's going to try to describe what this vision was. And I think there is going to be so many people, even today, that the Israelites were, that they just kind of leave the conversation with Ezekiel, and and Ezekiel's like, well, I guess you just had to be there, right? Because ultimately, he's going to try to describe God in this chapter. So, a couple context real quick, and then we'll walk through this and finish out. The prophets and disciples basically uh, in the Old Testament, especially the prophets, they were seeing these given, given these visions of God. And here we see Ezekiel. And Ezekiel in the, in the context with all the Israelites have been carried off into captivity once again into Babylon. So they are being ruled by another country, a foreign country, and Babylon is now ruling over them. So one day Ezekiel the prophet of God goes by a riverbank and sits alone by himself ironically, on his 30th birthday, okay? So it's him, he's 30, he's, it's his birthday, he's just sitting by this riverside, and he is depressed because he is the priest, he is a priest in, in the Israelite nation, and he's wondering where God is. We're in captivity, do you even see us anymore? Are we even important to you whatsoever? And so by this riverbank, this 30-year-old man on his birthday has this amazing, amazing vision given to him. Ezekiel will say that what he saw was, to quote all of it, the likeness of the glory of God. There are five elements in this vision. There is a windstorm, four creatures, wheels, platform, and Ezekiel's response. All right. Now, we're not going to get into all of this. We're not going to dive a heavy, deep dive into this, but I just want you to understand kind of what we're seeing here. So let's start off in verse one, or, or verse four. As I looked, Behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming. Now, if you have highlighter, circle things, you can actually highlight and circle, as it were, is one of the first terms you see is, as it were, gleaming metal. So the best thing I can kind of describe this thing was, it's like, if you've ever seen really hot metal and it's glowing orange, kind of think that, but it's not really that. (laughs) So, so already Ezekiel's struggling to kind of communicate this. You just, you, I, what I saw was, so it was metal, Ezekiel. Um, kind of. Okay, hold on. So it, it was this metal, it was kind of there. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. I think they were alive and I think they were creatures, but there were four of them. I know that. I know that there were four. I can explain that there were four of them. They were these things. So this is what we believe biblically to be cherubim, right? When we sing holy, 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 and you say the word cherubim, you're kind of like, I don't know what I'm singing. 
that's kind of what you're singing, all right? So cherubim are these angels or these, these living creatures that are living around the throne of God. Now, this is amazing. We know this from this passage, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness. Again, likeness. They were kind of like a human. And you look at that, and you're like, human? Not really. There's a face. There's a, some leg things going on. They had a human likeness, and each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like, kind of, sort of, like burnished bronze. So they were kind of that bronze color, but they were glowing, and they had some kind of human leg, straight leg that we know of. There's not really per se human. We just know that they were straight. And on the bottom was a calf hoof. And you're kind of like, okay, all right. And as he saw these things, it says their legs were straight, the calves, and they sparkled like bronze. Verse eight, under their wings on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them were straightforward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. So, all four would be touching wing to wing, forming this square and this platform for which the throne would sit upon, but they were alive. They weren't just statues, they were living creatures, and each had four sides to their head to see all different angles, and that's important for many reasons, but for this reason, it was just Ezekiel trying to say, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like. Verse 12, and each, um, I'm sorry, yeah, each, verse 12, and each went straight forward wherever the Spirit would go, and they went without turning as they went. I don't follow you, Ezekiel, but I guess you had to be there. It's kind of like that. And as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of that fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. <laughs> Can you imagine this vision? Like, this is what you're seeing. And then all of a sudden, like, they just jump, like lightning flashes across the vision. Boom, 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 boom. And you're like... What am I seeing right now? What am I watching? The power on display as they go to and fro as lightning bolts. Verse 18 or 15, now I looked at the living creatures. I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. So we've gone from the four creatures now to these wheels and the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of barrel. Now this barrel is basically this old kind of mineral form, but it has many different colors. It can be red, it can be blue, it can be yellow, it can be orange. All these different colors can be part of it. And it's almost as if he's saying, yes, <laughs> they were like that. All different colors, all different schemes. That's what I saw. It was crazy. And it was gleaming a barrel. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went in in any, any of their four directions without turning as they went, and their rims were tall and awesome. <laughs> Don't read into that too much. You're like, amen. My wife is going to get this theme verse because my rims are going to be... 
All four are going to be tall and awesome. And the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. Then you're like, oh, see, now that ruined it. And when the living creatures went and the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. And when the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Just had to be there. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse shining like an awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward one another. And each creature had two wings covering its body as they went. And I heard the sound of their wings and the sound of their wings. He can't even get this explained correctly. This is amazing. He tries to explain the sound and he goes into three different things here. He says, it was like the sound of waters. Ever been in a really big waterfall before and you can't communicate because it's so loud? Nobody can hear you? You're like... And they're like, mom is here, right? The sound of waters is the first thing. And then he says, it's like the sound of the Almighty. Reckoning probably back to the Old Testament, probably walking all the way back to the, the covenant that he gave on Mount Sinai when they heard God speak as he was on top of the mountain. It was the voice of the Almighty that we all ran from at the base of the mountain. And then he says, it's not even like that. It's like the sound of the atonement, like the sound of an army. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. It's, it's waters rushing in power. It's God himself reigning in beauty and splendor and majesty. And it's the power of an army and force of an army that I hear around me. This is crazy. This is amazing. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne. It was kind of like a throne. It's kind of what I can describe it as. It wasn't really a throne. It was kind of a throne. An appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of a throne. This is the beautiful part. This is it. And sitting above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with a human appearance. Seated on his throne. God, in his goodness, seated on his throne, still gives a display of humanness prophesying what would be to come of Jesus Christ. We don't know if this was Jesus on the throne or if this was God displaying the image of Jesus who would be seated. But we know that there was a human likeness to this seated king on his throne. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of an enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were from the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him. Like, again, you should circle highlight how many times you use the word like, or it feels like it was kind of this. Like the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. You ever get geeked out of rainbows and you're like, there it is. You almost wreck your car. Where? Right? <laughs> that, 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 that kind of image in this place is just, it's magnificent. It's something he just probably was just like, I don't ever want to stop looking at this. This is incredible. So the appearance of the brightness all around, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. What's God like? Ezekiel 1. You want to get an image in your head and trying to figure out the vastness, bigness of your God? Just read, just do your devotions in Ezekiel 1 for a week. God, I don't even, I don't, I don't even know. That sounds amazing, though. I'd love to see the appearance of the likeness of God. And when I saw it, this is the perfect response. And when I saw it, I fell on my face 
and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he goes on to describe this, this, this prophecy that he will give to him as he goes. Now, at least 20 different times, Ezekiel has a hard time explaining the incomprehensible God that we have. We are limited creatures, and as much as we try and go around our limitations or want to change our created beings to be God, we are not God. The only way we fully know God, as we wrap up this morning, is this. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. The way we know who God is, these answers of who God is, these answers he has provided to us in nature, in the scriptures, and in the person of his son. If you want to know who God is, you want to know anything about him, you can look to nature. Romans chapter 1, 19 to 20, for what we can be known of God is plain to them because God has shown them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen in nature. Yes, we can do that. But it has been given to us in scripture, 2 Peter 1, 3, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. But ultimately, the best place to see who God is, is in Jesus. His son came and we can see who he was. Now, we're never going to wrap our minds around it. You can't hit the incomprehensibility of God in one sermon. But let me just end with this. What, what do we do about it, right? You're, you're, you're going to leave here and you're kind of like, what did you talk about on Sunday? And I know your answer is going to be like, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I know that. I get that. You're going to go to lunch today and everybody's going to, and you're like, I, God's big. Good. Good. That's great. If you just leave with that, I'm really, really happy because it is beyond us. So what do we do? Two things. Number one, because he is incomprehensible, because he is beyond us, number one, there will always be depths to explore. I love that. I, I think so often, I know this is going a little long, but I, I, I love when, when people talk about eternity in heaven. I, th I think unfortunately we've been painted a bad picture of heaven. What do we do when we get to heaven? Well, it's just going to be like church service every single day, to which many of us are like. <laughs> nope. Nope. Let me just reassure you, it will not be. Because you will be in the presence of God himself. And there will be thousands and thousands and thousands of years to explore the depths of him. You could have conversations with Jonah. You could have conversations with God himself to where he'll say, it's kind of like, but you'll fully grasp it there and you'll see him as he truly is, not hidden behind anything anymore. And there will be new, new heavens, new earth, there will be things to explore and do that we've never had access to here. And there will be depths and levels. And so there will always be depths to explore if your God is big enough. If your God's not big enough, you're going to get really bored really quick because you've created him like you. And he's not you. He's, he's so much bigger than us and there will be plenty more to explore in who he is. So that's number one. There will always be depths to explore as we understand his incomprehensibility. But secondly, there will always be a humble declaration when we understand his sovereignty. And that humble declaration is simply this. I'm not him. So when you get confused and your kids want to know all these things and you, you can't really fully explain it to your kids or to your friends about who God is, you can just simply say, honey, I understand. I'm trying to explain to you that I want you to keep Romans 11, 33, and 36 in mind as they come. 
And I want to read it before we, we jump into singing together. So if you would, please stand with me as we close out this morning. You have served, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you serve a God who cannot be fully known. And yet in his goodness allows us to see attributes of who he is. And that's where we're heading over the next six weeks. His attributes. What has he disclosed about who he is so that we leave these, these weeks together and we can say with certainty, Romans chapter 11. Let me read this together. Or read this to you. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Exclamation point. How unsearchable are his judgments, how unscrutable his ways, exclamation point. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Amen.